But oftentimes we, uh, we answer deep philosophical and deep profound theological questions like that with cliches and superficial answers and we're going to try to uh, avoid that and, and answer things uh, more substantively. So, Okay, well today we are uh, in, still in Romans 12. Of course, we missed last week due to the weather. And uh, we, had, uh, we had begun a, a section beginning in chapter 12, verse 14, down through the end of the chapter uh, the week before. And we only got through verse 16 of those verses. So I want to pick it up today in verse 17 and down through verse 21. And actually, I, uh, to be honest with you, I, uh, I wasn't sure how far we would get in that section uh, two weeks ago when we, uh, when we looked at it. So I prepared the entire section to teach. And of course, I only got through verse 16, which didn't surprise me really. Uh, so I did some preparation for that week. And then last week, of course, I didn't know that we weren't going to have class until I was just finished typing up my outline, <laughs> my final draft of my outline Sunday morning. And Peggy called to tell me that Sunday school had been canceled because of the weather. And so I had done a bunch more preparation last week and I had learned some new things and had some some encouraging thoughts. So I thought, well, great, it's good I had an extra week to work on this because uh, there's more in here to think about. And then that, then that week was that study was canceled. And uh, so here I am a week later and I spent several more hours on the passage. And uh, so if you all are just hunkered down, we'll be here for about three hours. <laughs> and uh, Actually, the weather, you are on track to finish this before the year 2016 and the weather is trying to push you out. There, I, apparently. <laughs> Thanks. You're, you've really encouraged the class. <laughs> Now that you mention that, actually, by the way, I am beginning to think in terms of what are we going to do after Romans because uh, uh, because we are getting uh, towards the end of the book of Romans. And so it's time to think about that. And so I have some thoughts. I won't tell you what they are right now. But if you have some thoughts uh, about what something that you'd like a book or a passage that you'd like to look at or whatever, uh, don't hesitate to let me know. I can't promise what we'll do. But uh, if you have thoughts, I'd be certainly glad to hear them. I always like to hear your thoughts so that I can disappoint you and do something else. But no, I'm, I'm just, uh, obviously I'm not serious on that. But. So, well, we are, like I said, in Romans 12. And uh, let's read verses 14 through 21. And that'll kind of hopefully remind you of some of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago and prepare us for today. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Uh, Excuse me. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in 
Doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? We'll look back at those first three verses, verses 14 through 16, and uh, see what, what do you remember that we talked about a couple weeks ago on those verses? Uh huh. Do you find that true in your life sometimes? No. Me personally, no, I don't think so, but I see the certainly see that angle. Uh huh. Well, good. That's apparently not the area the Lord wants you working on. We'll find one for you today. Well, that's good. No, I don't think everybody struggles with all these areas as we've talked about. This is. Paul's do list, if you will. We talked about that. And in a do list, there are things that we need to work on and other things that maybe we're doing better in. So the idea in a do list like this is to figure out what are the areas, what are the priorities I need to be focusing on. So. I'll let you know if you hit anything. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. I'll be sure to work on you today. So. What else? When you're praying for someone, don't pray with God Okay. <laughs> well, you know, and that is an interesting issue, and that's something I've thought at times that would be good for us maybe to take some time to study, is to go through the Psalms and study the Psalms of imprecation, what we call the Psalms of imprecation, where David's calling down the wrath of God on people. But he says here in this passage, he says with our persecutors, he says to bless them and not to curse them. And so... Uh, so, uh, certainly in a New Testament context, uh, we need to be very careful about trying to call down the wrath of God on people. We'll talk some more about that today, by the way, as we discuss the subject of our enemies. Okay? Oh my God, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I'm sure you don't. Yeah, it's, I'm really glad. It's kind of nice to go through this do list and find you guys have got it all put together. I'm just encouraging. I'm just wasting my time up here. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Anything else? What does he mean when he says be of the same mind? Okay, okay. So how does that work? What's it look like? Well, give us what's the example the scripture gives us when it talks about this area of one mind. What's the pattern it sets before us? Not here in this passage, but in another passage. To have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ. Okay, and in the, in the Philippians chapter two, what is the mind of Christ? It's the mind of a servant. It's the attitude of a servant. And so, what we see with Christ is so so uh, provocative, so thought provoking. Uh, is that Christ, although he existed, it says, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a servant. And and my problem is, and I'll be honest with you here, I'm not going to be like you people. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to admit i got a problem here, is that, is that I want people to recognize me for, for who I am and for my, for my strengths and my 
and my position and you know I, I want to be acknowledged for what I am and I don't want people to think lower of me than I really am. I don't like that when people don't think as highly of me as I think they ought to think. And with Jesus that was not an issue. Is that and, and it's really to me it's a startling thing when I think about it because he's God. <laughs> he's God. And yet he did not regard it important to cling to that reputation when he was walking among us, but rather became a servant and got down and washed our feet and, and ultimately went to the cross. So it's a tremendous example for us in humility. So that's the mind we're to have. So it's not really about all having the same opinion. I used to think it meant we all need to have the same opinion. And since, my, since mainly my opinions were the right opinions, that meant that I had to go about trying to convince everybody to think the way I thought. And that once we did that, then we would have achieved Christian unity. And, uh, and it took some very painful lessons in my life to learn that that is not what the passage means. And, uh, but it certainly is liberating. <laughs> so, what else? Anything else? Yeah. 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 And treat them like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Harold and Iron is class we just And we appreciate that. We appreciate that. You know, <laughs> you know what? That is actually an that is actually an illustration of a point we're going to make here today. I was going to use that very illustration today, so um, I appreciate your doing that because I think now how do I explain that particular illustration? You, you gave it to me, so I'm going to use it. That's great. <laughs> You can really tell the Holy Spirit's leading this discussion today. So. <laughs> so great. Well, so we go on then, picking it up in verse 17, and 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 at this point, uh, you know, the question came to my mind last week as I was getting ready to teach this lesson. Last week, is the question was. Do I, do I, do you want good to triumph? Do you want good to triumph in the world? Or even maybe more personally, do you want, do you really want good to triumph in your world? Just in your environment. I think when we just say it that way, most of us would go, yeah. I, I want that. I want good to triumph in my world. Well, look at the last verse there. Verse 21. He says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's kind of the goal we're shooting for in this lesson today. That's kind of the, that's kind of the target at the end. But what stands between the question I just asked, do you want good to triumph, and that ultimate goal, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, stands some of the most difficult concepts for us to practice in the Christian life. 
Because what we're dealing with in verses 14 through 21, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, is we're dealing with this issue of what does the transformed person, the Christian who has had their mind renewed and their lives transformed by the Word of God, what is their... What does their life look like as they interface with other people? So we talked about persecutors. We talked about people that are, as we interact with people who are weeping, as we interact with people who are rejoicing. We talked about the area of oneness of mind. How do we, how do we interact with people? And, and now, as we, as we go on here, we're still dealing with this question about others. But very specifically, in the passage that we're looking at today, in verses 17 through 21, <coughs> particularly verse 20, <coughs> excuse me, the issue is how do we deal with wrongdoers? How do we relate <coughs> to people who do wrong? More specifically, how do we deal with people who do wrong to us? And this is some of the most yeah. difficult. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was thinking you're going to leave the Lord thing. I was just thinking, I mean, our first reaction, though, is talks about associating with the lowly and think, well, I need to do that. But I think it's almost an arrogant attitude to assume that someone else is the lowly. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <clears throat> How do we know we're not the lowly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we assume, well, I've got to associate with lowly and that almost is... It's a condescending. Condescending yeah. Yourself. yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, that's a good point. I appreciate that. Well, so in some ways, the verses that we're looking at today are really constitute some of our greatest challenge. You know, they involve the whole thing of Jesus talking about if your enemy smites you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. If they make you go a mile, you go this. You know, those are the kind of things that we're talking about today. So they really are uh, some of the most challenging things that we're going to that we're going to face. And I want you to notice that as Paul begins to talk here in verse 17 and the verses that follow, about dealing with people who do evil to us. As we're dealing with evildoers, it's put our, our conduct, our behavior follows in the passage out of the context of humility. The verse right before it, verse 16, you know, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You know, think lowly, associate with the lowly. It's in the context. You know, this is one thing I really hadn't even noticed till this week. And what made me notice it was I was looking at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 as he's dealing with the same issue that Paul's dealing with here in chapter 12 of Romans. This issue of how do we respond when people do wrong to us? And, with, and, and when Peter's talking about there in 1 Peter 3 and verses 8 and 9, uh, it's, it's significant that... that his logic follows exactly the logic of Paul's, which he first he's dealing first with an attitude of humility, and then he talks about how do I respond when I'm wrong? When, or excuse me, when I'm wrong. How do I respond when I'm wrong? That's a good question too. But how do I respond when I'm wrong? How do I respond when people treat me evilly? And and in Paul's mind, what he's going to tell us we need to do his instructions to us on this area follow right after the verse about being humble. And it just struck me the link that there is that, that, I'm, that I'm really not going to be able to do these things that Paul talks about me doing. And responding the way Paul says I ought to respond if I'm proud. If I think I've got something to prove. 
if I want to, if I want people to think as highly of me as I deserve to be thought of, I'm not going to be able to do this stuff. So it comes in the context of humility, and and I think that's one of the things we need to keep in mind as we go forward. But he starts in verse 17, and he says, "Never pay back evil for evil to anyone." So it's a prohibition against paying back evil for evil. And uh, if you'll jump down to verse 19, you'll see he says, never take your own revenge, but leave room for the uh, wrath of God. And, uh, and one of the things I struggled with as I was looking at this passage is, why does Paul talk in verse 17 about not paying back evil for evil? Then he, then he appears to go on and talk about a couple other things. He talks about what's right inside all men. He talks about being at peace with all men. And then he goes and he talks about don't take your own revenge. It looks like he's saying the same thing over again. Just kind of repeating himself. And I want to suggest to you, and I had to really think about this for uh, quite a while to, to, to uh, understand what the distinction is. There is a subtle difference between what he's talking about in verse 17, about not repaying evil for evil, and what he talks about in verse 19, about not taking your own revenge. There is a subtle difference. And I'll, when I get to verse 19, I'll elaborate on that more about what that difference is. But there is a, there is a little bit of difference and the intervening thoughts between don't, don't return evil for evil and don't take your own revenge. The intervening thoughts of doing what's right in the sight of all men and being at peace with all men actually fit in the context of this whole discussion. But, but let's just start and let's deal with verse 17 first. Where he says, we are never to pay back evil for evil to anyone. So we have this prescription against paying back evil for evil, right? But of course there are some exceptions, right, when it's when it's okay to do that, right? You don't think so, okay? He's pretty emphatic about that, isn't he? Maybe once we get back to get up to chapter thirteen. <laughs> okay. Well that I, I did want to remind you that we are talking about personal issues in chapter twelve. We're going to talk about social issues and government issues when we get to chapter 13. And those are two different issues. We've got to keep those in mind. What we're talking about right here is when I have been personally wronged. We're not talking about somebody breaking the law and that sort of thing. We're talking about when I've been personally wronged in one way or another. And every one of us has experienced that, right? Every one of us has been wronged. Some of us have been wronged in terrible ways, okay? Just horrific ways and very painful ways, and over a long period of time, oftentimes, okay? So, so we've all experienced this, and our gut instinct, when we have been wronged, is to return evil for evil, right? But Paul says, notice how he says it twice. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So it's like he's saying... There is no time when it's appropriate to pay back evil for evil. There's no time. You can't, you know, when, when, the, when the clerk at the grocery store is a little curt with you or, or not as helpful or whatever, it's not okay. Even if you've had a really bad day, it's not okay to rip off on her, okay? It's not okay to... To let her have it, okay? It doesn't matter how bad your day is. 
It doesn't matter how sick you're feeling. It doesn't matter what other people have done to you this day or this week or this month or in your life. You, there is no time when it is ever, ever right to return evil for evil. On the other hand, there are some people who are so bad that we can do it to them, right? No. But that, that kind of begs the definition of evil. Okay. And how, what do you think he means? Well, I, the example that you're given where the, the uh, court doesn't treat you properly, I think there's a difference between... I, I mean, I saw a man one time, he told... Uh, a person like that, what she needed to hear. And he did it in a very stern way, but it wasn't evil. Okay, okay. And, 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 I'll, and I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. But uh, to, because they treat you badly, treat them badly in return. Yes. That's what he's talking And about. I think that's exactly, you're right. You're exactly right. What he's talking about here. Correct. It's okay to point out. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll bring. There's a nuance even to that, though, when we get to verse 19 about revenge. Okay, but I generally agree with what you just said. Okay, uh, but the issue is what he's talking about here. Very simply, is tit for tat. Okay, he's talking about tit for tat. He's just talking about paybacks. Okay, we're not talking about the kind of thing that Ron just mentioned, which is a good point. Okay, but we're talking about somebody does something evil to you, and you return evil. Something that's as we'll see in the next verse, is clearly understood to be evil. Okay? And, and there's no time when that's ever appropriate to do. There's no time when you can do it when you have not sinned in doing so. And there's no person, no, no matter how bad the person is, no matter how evil any given person is, and we can think of some really evil people in our world, right? And some of us in our own lives. But there's never a person who is so evil that it justifies me doing evil to them. Rick, what about... See, I told you this is going to be a hard one. (laughs) I'm thinking I'm probably where most of us fail the most. Somebody does something to us or... You know, evil out there that affects us, and instead of doing something to them, we just tell everybody we talk about them. You know what they did. You know what they're like. And I was wondering if that applied there. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there is a there is a legitimate place for legitimate warnings, but oftentimes it's just malicious gossip, and malicious gossip is wrong. It's just wrong. What about when you're in employment though and you're looking at character issues and you're calling a, a previous employer? Well, again, not again, not all, it's not always wrong to tell someone, to warn someone about somebody's evil tendencies. It's wrong to gossip maliciously. It's, it's wrong to speak evil just because I want to I want to hurt someone. That's, those are two different issues. Yeah. So you're saying stating the facts but not making it personal. Well, it's not just not just saying the facts, but saying the facts where the facts need to be said. 
In other words, if somebody does wrong to me, to, and, and it's not somebody that particularly has any bearing on your life, I have no business telling you about it. I have no business gossiping to you about what somebody else has done to me. But if you call me and ask me for a reference for somebody that worked for me, yes. if I don't tell you the truth, I'm doing you wrong. Yes. That's lying in a way. Yes. Yes. yes, and that's clear. That's not what we're talking about. The, it, what he's talking about here is evil for evil. Okay? Would it be fair to say that it may be more than intent? Like if I, if I say something, if you do this example, she calls me and asks for a reference. And if, if I look at this person, I have a grudge against them. You know, they've done maybe some they've done okay work or whatever. But if I had told them the last thing I told them, I had to head it out the door was, I'll make sure you never work anywhere again. Mm-hmm. You know, with that attitude, I'm going to tell her. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think clearly there are, clearly there are. Uh, I don't want to call them gray areas because they're not gray areas. Evil is evil. Okay, so I don't want to call them gray areas. But there are areas where we need to ex- exercise discernment. Okay, and the question is, if someone has done evil to me, am I just coming back tit for tat? Am I just is this just payback? Am I am I telling someone else about them? Just as a tit for tat, just to get even, just to settle the score, whatever, okay? Or is there is there a legitimate bona fide need here that the second party needs the third party needs to hear? Okay. Because we all know how easy it is to say, Well, you know, everybody needs to know how bad this person is. Well, everybody doesn't need to know. There are some situations where they do. And, and some of these issues are dealing, we're, 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 we're on this, in some of the things we're talking about, employment and things like that, we're on this borderline between personal injury and social and cultural and societal issues, okay, that we deal with in, in Romans chapter 13. So we're kind of on that borderline there and we're kind of walking a fine line. But what we're talking about is an area where you have been personally wronged and you return wrong for wrong. Okay, now, you're going to have to figure out what is wrong, but very clearly, if it's wrong, it's always wrong, even if somebody has wronged you. Okay? So, there's never a circumstance and there's never a person in which it's right for me to do an evil thing to another person. Okay? Yeah. Most of the time you do. Yeah. Most of the time, unless you've seared your conscience here. Most of the time you do. Okay. So it's, it's never right to pay back evil for evil to anyone. And, uh, and we have a classic example with Jesus. Because with Jesus, it says, and Peter says there in a passage in 1 Peter 3 that I referred to, it says, that although he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And as I think about that, I think about all the times that people said really nasty stuff about him as you read through the Gospels. And oftentimes he was very frank in confronting them. He was, you know, but he never reviled in return. He never reviled in return. And it says, although he suffered, he never threatened. And I just think, he was God. He could have really uttered some pretty, some pretty heavy threats. But he didn't. 
as he suffered, and as I think about what he was enduring there, uh, before, right before his crucifixion, all the suffering, and if that had been me, and I had his power, man, I would have been, you know, I would have been breathing out fire. Okay, you people have had it, you know. But you imagine when he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate making all those comments to him, yeah. and he's standing there thinking, you know, you are a worm. <laughs> You'd have no idea. There is there another example of the mind of Christ who did not regard equality. Do you think Christ was sad? Because to me, was eternal damnation was for him. I have no doubt he was sad. Yeah. Yeah. If we really need what hell was like, yeah. I think it was our anger and we feel sorry. Yeah. And actually, with God, those two things are not mutually exclusive. His anger and his sorrow are not mutually exclusive. He experiences both of them infinitely. But, so, uh, so yeah. This week, some one night in my lifetime, about uh, some city rejected Jesus and the disciples, and they came back and said, you know, he wants to call yeah. the fire yeah. like they could. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like they could. <laughs> uh, and Jesus said, no, I came to save. Yeah. And I think, you know, our motives should not be getting back at them, but for salvation. Yeah. Too often it's not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the example with Jesus is striking because there in Peter, what he says is, he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he, when he was suffered, he did not threaten. But then it says... He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. So he's going through all of this and he's not breathing out fire. He's not cursing them. He's not reviling them. He's not threatening them. But, but he's just saying, God, I'm going to, Father, I'm going to leave this to you. Father, I'm just going to leave this to you. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. You people are really hard today. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be now. What about though a court of law and judging? You're 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 into Romans 13. We'll get to that when we get to Romans 13. Yeah. Wait till okay. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Um, and uh, so we have the example of Jesus. Another great example we have is David. Remember the story of David before he's king and he's already anointed and he's going to be king, okay? And what happens? Okay, Saul goes, okay, this guy's going to, you know, this guy's got to go. And so Saul is pursuing him and pursuing him and pursuing him and pursuing him. And he's on the lamb for, David's on the lamb for oh, who knows how long. I don't know how long it went on. I, I get the impression it was several years. Okay, he's he's high talent, trying to try, just trying to keep one step ahead of King Saul. Wants to kill him, and David never ever does anything evil to Saul. And then he gets a couple chances, and one classic example is that case case in the cave. Okay, where he, where David's hiding out in the cave and. Saul comes in to use it for an outhouse and he comes in and he's relieving himself and David's hiding right around the corner and he could have easily killed him. And then, and then Saul walks out and David's got his cut a piece off of Saul's garment. Okay, that's how close they were. Cut a piece off of his garment and Saul walks out of the cave and David comes out after him after Saul's and he waves his piece of cloth and it just, yeah. 
You were here and you were in my hand and I did nothing. What does, they, what does Saul say? Something like, uh, I'm sorry, you're a better man than me. You're, you're, you're more righteous than I. You're more righteous than I. Yeah, comes back after again. David's such a great example of this principle. Another one, of course, is Joseph. Remember how much we studied Joseph when we were going through Genesis? Great example of this principle. But this is hard stuff, isn't it, folks? This is hard stuff. There are the... There are the fine lines that we've been talking about, and those are issues, but even apart from the fine lines, this is hard stuff. This is turning the other cheek stuff, folks. This is walking the second mile stuff. This is why the teaching of Christ was so revolutionary. It was so revolutionary. The, uh, remember, in the, in, back in the law, in, in, the, in, in, in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, etc., etc., God has made it very specific. In the, in the administration of justice within the nation, the principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Okay. But by the time we get to the days of Jesus, they've blurred the distinction between Romans 12 and Romans 13. People now have taken that as a personal prerogative. I can do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth when I'm personally wrong. They're no longer leaving it to government. I mean, in, in the law, it was government's responsibility. Okay. But now they're doing it personally. And, and Jesus says, nothing doing. This is not your prerogative. Yes, sir. Well, we see the same thing in the Middle East today. If somebody does something wrong and the, and, and the idea is to one-up it, and when you come back on them, to one-up them, to, do, to do, come back on them more severe than before. We see that kind of thing all the time. Yeah. So you're right, it is. Um, but when Jesus rebukes them for their eye for an eye, tooth for tooth thinking, it's because they're now doing it personally. They are, they are settling scores personally. And that's what Jesus is prohibiting. Okay? Well, so then in, the, in that verse, he goes right on. The next thing he says, and you go, okay, we've changed subjects here. But really, I don't think necessarily we have. He says, he says respect what is right in the sight of all men. And uh, uh, first of all, that word respect, they translate different ways in different translations. The, the word there actually means to think before. To think before, okay? And so some people say regard, some translations say regard what is right in the sight of all men, some say respect or whatever. There's different ways of translating. But I like that emphasis on thinking before. It's kind of the idea of when somebody does evil to you, Think before you act. <laughs> How oftentimes when somebody does evil to me, somebody says something to me, I shoot off my mouth back before I've thought. <laughs> There's a little clip on Facebook I saw here a couple weeks ago that I could relate to. It says, it says uh, I don't think before I speak because I like to be as surprised by what I say as everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I go, I can relate to that. <laughs> okay, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about, folks. When it comes to you, when someone's treated you evil, you better think before you act. And one of the things you need to think about, he says, is what is right in the sight of all men. Yeah. The one thing that helps me in using is to remember that myself and another person is that we are equally fine. Yeah. 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 That's good. Both both fallen creatures. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> what helps me is usually I don't do it, but I probably should. Is if I don't want to say it, I probably shouldn't say it. If I want to say it, I probably should show it. Yeah, that's a good measure. That's a good measure. But really, I think the truth of it, because what I've been at first, you know, sometimes Jesus was very, very strong. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. like John the Baptist and the Pharisees walked up and he said, before they even sang it, you bring the vipers. Yeah. And Jesus, yeah, like that. <laughs> blasting the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, well, okay, how, how do you revile or not? And yet, at times, he just blasts these yeah. guys. And yeah. He has to think, well, he, he, at times, he's defending the Father, he's defending the truth, rather than himself. Yeah, oftentimes, he's defending the weak and the misled. And, or yeah. if they're hurting someone else, yeah. he's defending them. Exactly. And I think that's the distinction we need to keep in mind, that Paul is talking about when I've been personally wrong here. Yeah. yeah. comes up and comes... Oh, yes. of with the vast majority of people they have a conscience 
And they know what's right, and they know what's wrong, whether they do it or not. Classic example is the one we just talked about, Saul. Okay. David did what is right, Saul is doing what is wrong, and, and even though Saul is doing what is wrong, he recognizes in his conscience that what David is doing is right, and he says, you are more righteous than I. Okay. Another verse that's very interesting to me is, is in Galatians chapter 5. Remember, there towards the end of chapter 5, Paul details for us the deeds of the flesh, and then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about the nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc. Et and when he gets to the end of that list, do you remember what he says? Against such there is no law. When we love, when we're faithful, when we're full of joy, when we are exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, generally speaking, those are things that the world goes. Whether they acknowledge it openly or not, they know in their hearts, that's good. That's right. They may, they may excuse divorce. But if you stay married for 50 or 70 years to one wife and are faithful to her the whole time, the world goes, that's good. Even though it's okay for them to go out and get divorced and married three or four times, right? Okay. So the idea that Paul's communicating here is that, is that the world knows the things that are right. Peter says it this way. He says, he says keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In Corinthians, Paul rebukes the Corinthians because they've got a person in their midst, he says, who is doing things that they don't even do among the Gentiles. Okay? So the point is, is that the world knows certain things are good. And when you are confronted by somebody doing evil to you, you better think before you act and only do what is right in the sight of all men. Because it actually is possible to act in a way when you've been done wrong and the world will go, your response was wrong. Okay. And what you want is you want your behavior to be excellent among the Gentiles because you want them to see Christ. Right? You don't want the world to be focused on you and your reaction. You want them to see Christ. The problem is we really kind of get off on people getting what was due to them, right? This video goes around on the internet. I've seen it a couple times. It's hilarious. I love it. But it's really a wrong example. Okay? But, but it's, and, and it's, it seems pretty clear that it's actually a, a real video. It's not a staged thing. Okay? Because it starts out with, it looks like a, probably a mother or somebody who's behind the camera. And she's filming her boys out on the street on their skateboards doing tricks and stuff. And then all of a sudden she hears this honk, 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 a horn just honking, a car horn honking, you know. So she wonders what it is, and she turns the camera over to this intersection nearby, okay. And there's a guy sitting there in his Beamer, some real fancy, nice car, okay. And he's laying on his horn honking because there's this little old lady, and she's walking across the street in front of him, carrying a shopping bag or some heavy bag or something, okay? And she's not moving very fast and he's in a hurry, so he's laying on his horn. And she takes that bag that she's got and she whops right against the bumper of his car and boom, it sets off his airbag. <laughs> now you all are laughing and I'm laughing too and I'm thinking how many thousands of dollars it cost this guy for harassing this poor little lady but that's not how we're supposed to react as much as we enjoy that and we think the guy got what he deserves 
that's not how we're supposed to react. We don't return evil for evil, right? Okay. Well, but we do what is right in the sight of all men. And then he says, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So when somebody's done something wrong to me, I'm going to think before I act. One of the things I need to think is, how can I make peace in this situation? If I return evil for evil, what's going to happen? Escalation. Escalation. Again, we see that over and over again in the Middle East, don't we? Escalation. Okay. Because you know that guy, when his airbag blew up in his face, you know, you know he didn't get out of his car and walk over to the lady and say, I'm sorry. Right? It escalates things. But we're called to be peacemakers. Jesus says that if we're peacemakers, we'll be called the sons of God. So when somebody goes wrong to me, my proper response is go, how can I make peace here? Now, Paul's very realistic, isn't he? Because he says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you. In other words, I can't make another person be at peace with me. But I can remove every barrier in my conduct that creates conflict. And that's what I'm responsible to do. I'm not responsible to make another person be at peace with me. But I am responsible to remove every barrier I see that's my fault. Have you ever seen a peacemaker at work? That is cool. I had an opportunity here a couple, three years ago to see a peacemaker at work. And it was a situation I was personally involved in. The situation where I and, another, and a group of other men and some women were involved in uh, and, and it was in a, in a conflict situation with a Christian organization. And, uh, and this organization had gotten off track and done some bad stuff and, and had wronged some of us and it, it, it and had gone on for 25 years. And uh, it, it, most of the stuff happened many years ago, but it just never got resolved. And back in the early 90s, we sat down with them at one point and we tried to resolve things and we couldn't resolve things. And, uh, and so we just tabled it again and it went on. And about three or four years ago, something like that, I'm sitting out at the park in my, in my truck studying for something and I get this random phone call from the director of this national organization. And he says, uh, Rick, it's come to my attention that there's still issues with you that we've not resolved. And I said, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he said, uh, we want to get this right. So we had a number of phone conversations over the next few months and, and he and eventually the organization paid to fly me out to their headquarters and put me up in a hotel room and, and I sat in a hotel room with this gentleman for uh, all day long. We talked for probably eight, nine hours nonstop, praying together, talking together stuff. And this was a guy who just had a passion for reconciliation. He had a passion for peace. And he was determined. 
not just with me, but with, a, and he was doing with us with a whole group of, with a whole number of people. Okay. And, and he just said, Rick, he says, I just, this is my burden. This is my ministry to see people reconciled. And this is what I want to see happen, you know. And it was so cool to watch him work. And the, and the breach was healed. Something that had gone on for 25 years was healed because of a guy who said, I'm going to be a peacemaker. And on the flip side, that was, that was on the part of the, of the Christian organization. But the flip side of it is one of the men, on, on, if we can talk in terms of parties here, one of the, one of the men on our side, okay, his wife had just gotten this tremendous burden after all these years and virtually no communication for the last 10 or 15 years. Had just gotten this tremendous burden to see this thing resolved. And so she just started praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying that God would heal the breach. So we have this one woman and she's just praying and praying and praying on one side and we have this one man on the other side who just grabs the bull by the horn and says, I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make right what we've done wrong and I'm going to get this thing right. And what looked like was an impossibility, especially after 25 years of hard feelings, was healed. It's a peacemaker. And God says, when I am wronged, I'm to be a peacemaker. I'm to do whatever I can do. And in the case of the example I just cited for you, this, this gentleman, uh, John was his name, uh, you know, there's only so much he could do because there was stuff on the other side that had to be done too. See, but there's only so much he could do, but he was going to do what he could do. And he spared no expense and no time. He gave whatever he had to give to see the peace. On the other side, there was this woman and all she could do was pray. So there was nothing she could do. We'd made approaches. We'd made overtures. We'd done what we thought we could do and we just couldn't get through. Well, what can I do? Well, all I can do is pray. And she did what she could do. She prayed. As much as it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Well, we haven't even got to the really touchy one. That's verse 19 about revenge. Okay, And this is a little different than just straight tit for tat, evil for evil. Okay, This brings up other issues. Issues of justice and things like that. Okay. So we're out of time, so we're going to spend another week on, on this lesson before we finish it, okay? So next week we'll pick it up with verse 19 and we'll be, look at these passages on revenge. You all were great today. You made us all think. <laughs>